Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo Podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in His plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. We're in Proverbs chapter 31. Tonight, as we close out our study in Proverbs, you guys just start that. Thank you. Uh, Clock in the back helps me out, helps us out. Um, So what a cool chapter. Now, um, Proverbs 31, you can't have a study of the book of Proverbs and not include this chapter. Uh, It has become somewhat of a landmark uh, in Scripture, not because of its location, but really because of its content. Um, It's been kind of viewed in the years and commonsensically so as a catalog of what is the perfect woman. Perhaps you've heard that phrase before, the Proverbs 31 woman or the Proverbs 31 uh, life or wife. You know, um, the problem with that, and I, and I really don't think that is the intention behind the Holy Spirit putting that in here, though it is an excellent thing to strive for, and I would greatly encourage all of you women to continue to do that, I I do not think that that was the primary intent of the Holy Spirit behind putting this description here in it. I don't think that that it is partially because Solomon, uh, who is the author of this thing, said in another place in scripture that he's never been able to find a woman like this. And he tried, and we know that he tried. Out of a thousand, he says in Ecclesiastes 7, uh, verses 27, 28, he says that he searched for for him one by one, and he could not find find one. And so this woman doesn't exist. And I I believe that the purpose uh, of this in scripture is not necessarily a catalog of what is the perfect woman, but rather an epilogue for the entire book of Proverbs. We have seen that, that the woman wisdom has been personified or wisdom has been personified as a woman all the way throughout. And I think as kind of the capstone to close things out, uh, Solomon is bringing things full circle and introducing us to this woman uh, in a way that we haven't seen her uh, described completely. Now, uh, in, in its... Um, kind of Proverbs 31 woman interpretation, this passage has become uh, the theme of many women's conferences, sermon fodder uh, aimed at women. And for that reason, it's kind of been idolized. It's been scrutinized. It's been idealized. It's been weaponized. It's been demonized. And it's caused many, especially women and some men, to agonize and sometimes even feel paralyzed. And I believe that the reason for that is because though the words have been recognized, uh, they haven't necessarily been realized for what God intended them to be. And so as we look at the chapter tonight, I am hoping uh, that God would inspire all of us to understand what it is that he is seeking to impart to us and communicate to us uh, through this incredible description. Um, Now, it begins the chapter, the first nine verses, really with kind of a setup, uh, a description of where all of this came from, this picture where it came from with uh, an exhortation to the man Solomon. So let's look at these first nine verses just by way of setup. It says, uh, they're introductory. It says, the words of King Lemuel. Now, this is, again, another name for Solomon. Uh, We've seen throughout Ecclesiastes, throughout Proverbs, that he has different names for himself at different times to symbolize different things. The name Lemuel literally means 
means belonging to God. And it's simply uh, a reference to the fact that he's going to speak of things that he learned from his mother, and his mother is going to speak of the fact that she dedicated him to God. And so Solomon is acknowledging the fact that he is the king of Israel, God's king, but that he is a king serving under God and whose life has been dedicated to God. And so the words of King Lemuel, and here's the source now, it says the prophecy that his mother taught him. And so all of these things that are written in this chapter are things that were a burden upon the heart of Solomon's mother, who was Bathsheba, the wife of King David. And uh, the burden or the oracle that was upon her, she passed on to him. And I believe that, that that in and of itself was very significant in shaping who Solomon became. Uh, I'll share with you later on in the study that I believe that the very reason why Solomon asked God for wisdom when he was approached by God and given a blank check was partially because of the place that his mother said that that would have in enriching his life. I believe she set him up to ask for that partially through these things that were taught to him here in this chapter. And so then she, uh, he says, or she says to him, verse 2, what, which uh, really probably would be better translated, how, you know, as though she's asking herself in shock and disbelief, how, my son? And, and how, the son of my womb, and how, the son of my vows, just realizing the weight of the privilege that she has in raising this young man who will become the king, who will become the, uh, the, the heir of the throne of King David, her husband. And she's just overwhelmed by the fact that he would be her son, her blood son. And really the son vows is better, better translated probably of her dedication, that she dedicated him unto the Lord and God has taken his life and made him into something. What an amazing uh, thing for a mother, the, the power of a mother to be able to speak into the life of her child and then see what she has spoken into his life turn into something. And she's overwhelmed by that realization as she speaks these things. And then she gives him this exhortation here at the very beginning. And essentially, she's going to tell him three things here. She's going to tell him that he's to know his strengths, that he's to protect his weaknesses, and that he's to open his heart. So as a king, he needs to know his strengths, he needs to guard his weaknesses, and he needs to open his heart. So notice what she says in verse 3. She says, Give not your strength unto women, nor your ways to that which destroys kings. And so she recognizes to him the fact that he is a king, and thus she acknowledges his strength is that he has been called and equipped to lead on the highest level. He's not just a leader of an organization or of a business. He's the leader of a nation, and not just any nation. He's the leader of God's nation. And so, therefore, his strength is the gifting and the calling that God has placed in his life. And he needs to know what that is. Solomon needs to understand that call and purpose that God has for him because it's a guiding light for him. It will help him to know what he's to do, what he exists for, and what his priorities are to be. And I believe that that's something that each of us needs to do, no matter what it is that our calling or our place is, is that we need to learn what our strength is. God made each of us for a reason. Now, most of us are not the leaders of a nation. 
I would say that probably none of us are, probably none of us ever will be. But there is a strength that God has given to every single one of us. And part of the discovery of life, the glory of life, is learning what that is. Discovering from God what he's made us and and what is to be our guiding light. God, why am I here on this earth? And if I don't know what that is, then I'm in danger of wasting time, energy, resources, talents on things that are not what God made me for. And so it's important that we know what it is that our strength is. And she puts that before him right there at the very beginning. We're all strong somewhere, and we're strong somewhere because God has given us that strength because he knows that we're going to need it. And so the, the, the other half of that is what she tells him next is that he needs to protect his weakness, not just know his strength, but guard his weakness. Now, we know, I hope by this time in, in, in our lives, that an unguarded strength is a double weakness, that if we don't learn that there are weaknesses in us that seek to undermine our strengths, then we're in danger of losing the effectiveness of what our strength was intended to accomplish. And so we need to protect our strengths. And so she speaks to him specifically, and she says to him there that he should not give his strength unto women, nor his ways unto that which destroys kings. And so the first weakness that he needs to guard against in his call is he needs to guard against foreign pursuits. That is, things that will become an unprofitable use of his strength. He has the potential to use the gifts that God has given him to do things that will distract him from his call, detract him from his purpose, and destroy him ultimately from being effective in what God has called him to. And he's to know what those weaknesses are. In his life, one of those things, his mother knowing his his father and knowing him, says, don't give your strengths to women. You can use your talents to go in the wrong direction if you're not careful. So you need to protect and know that you're not to use it for that thing. Now, for you and I, we have a strength, and we need to know that it is possible for us to use our strengths in areas of life that they were not intended to be used in. And so for me, I know that oftentimes there are time stealers. There are things that can take my energy or take my resources mentally or physically that aren't what God made me for. And I I have a lot of talents, a lot of things I can do. I like to work with my hands. And if I'm not careful, I can waste the resources that God has given me on things that are of no value for his call on my life eternally. And so I need to protect and guard against those things. I remember one time having a car that, that ran absolutely amazing. There was only one time it didn't run amazing. And that was when you tried to drive it. You could start it up, and that thing ran so good. It was just the most smooth, amazing, idling engine. But as soon as you tried to to put it in drive, it would not run at all. It would just sputter, and it couldn't get any momentum. And I think that there's a lot of lives that are like that. You know, we have this amazing engine that God has given to us, but because we don't know what it's for or or we've allowed other things to get clogged in, we idle fine, but we don't run well. And so she's warning him against not giving his strength to the thing that ultimately will not help him. His engine would only idle. So there's foreign pursuits that he was to guard against. The other thing was foreign pleasures. Watch what she says in verse 4. She says, It is not for kings, O Lemuel, 
It is not for kings to drink wine, nor princes strong drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. She says that for you, in your call, you need to guard yourself against consuming alcohol. And she says twice that if you do that, it's going to cause you to forget Your mind and your judgment are going to become cloudy. You're going to forget the law of God. You're going to forget the cause of the afflicted. You're going to become inward and selfish, and it's going to affect you in a way that's going to undercut your leadership and the call that's upon your life. It's going to ruin your discretion. It's going to bend your judgment. You're not going to have good judgment, and you need to have sharp judgment in your call. And it's going to make you selfish and apathetic to other people's needs. And if you want to lead, she's saying to him, then you need to understand that you have to be more concerned about other people than you are about yourself. You need to understand that. Now, for you and I, there's also an application because in our strength and in our calling, there are foreign pleasures that have the ability to ruin what it is that God has called us. Now, every single one of us that's in here tonight, we have agents of self-medication. That is, we have things that we default to that are our comforts when we think that it doesn't matter or, or when it, we think that it doesn't affect other, pe- other people. Sometimes it is alcohol, just like it could have been for Solomon uh, to drink a little bit too much or some, for some people to drink at all. For other people, there's other things. Amazon can be a foreign comfort, a foreign pleasure. You know, Amazon Prime, it just enables us to just purchase things almost painlessly, right? Until we get the bill later on. (laughs) For others, uh, it could be eating too much or not having control of our physical appetite. For others, it might be gossiping or judging other people, just comparing ourselves with others or talking down about somebody to somebody else. And there's almost a high in it. We're comforted in doing that. For others, it could be binge watching. It could be too much Netflix time or too much uh, Amazon video or whatever, you know, just too much screen time in something, but it's a comfort to us. In some way, we take, we take joy in it. Gaming. For others, it could be darker things uh, that, that, that get their foothold within our lives. But here's the bottom line, is that every Superman has a kryptonite and every human being has pleasures Things that we default to that have the ability to undermine our purpose. Now, here's the amazing thing about God's call upon the life of of a person, upon your life, upon my life, is that our call, our purpose that he's given to us will become and does become our pleasure when we find it and give ourselves to it. But if we become distracted with foreign pleasures, then those things have the ability to rob us of our purpose. And then our lives begin to waste away. We're, we're, dis- we're divided, we're detracted, and ultimately we'll be destroyed. And so it's important for us to know what our weaknesses are and then to avoid those things. In, in the New Testament, the Apostle Peter, it's 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. He just tells it to us like this very simply. He just says, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. The soul is the seat of your mind and your emotions. It's the essence of your person. And God has built that. He made it for something, but there are fleshly lusts, desires. Sometimes they're not even sinful. But if we don't control those things, then ultimately those things will control us. And so 
Solomon's mother is exhorting him, listen, know where you're tempted, where you're weak, and guard against those weaknesses. An unprotected strength is a double weakness. And then finally, she tells him to open his heart, to remember that it's not about him. She says in verse 6, give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish and wine unto those that are of heavy hearts. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. So if you're just done with life, you're ready to check out, you've lost all hope that God has a purpose or a call or some redemptive meaning behind what you're going through right now, then by all means, just go get hammered. You know, but if you're a faithful person that believes in God and your heart is still beating, then he's still got something for you, and that's not you. All right, that's not us. Then she says this, verse 8 and 9. She says, open your mouth for the dumb or the mute or those that have no voice in the cause of all such as are appointed to destruction. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and needy. In other words, realize it's not about you. What you have, what God has given you, the purpose and the call in your life, it's not about you. And if you give yourself to foreign purpose and foreign pleasure, then you're going to become selfishly motivated and you're going to forget that it's about someone else. It's an amazing exhortation that Solomon's mother gives to him. And then she does something incredibly paradoxical beginning in verse 10. Because she just told him, she just told him, it's in the same breath. She said, don't give your strength unto women. She just said that. And now she's going to tell him to go find this one woman. Give your strength to this woman. If you can find this one, she's worth pursuing. So go get her if you can get her. And then he gives the description of this proverbial woman, the Proverbs 31 woman. And what he gives us between verse 10 and verse 31 are 14 attributes of this woman. Now, this is not a 14-point sermon, okay? So don't get nervous and think that we're going to be here for the rest of the night expounding on all of these things. But here's what I want you to understand is that the woman that he's speaking of here is this personified female that we've seen throughout the book that is wisdom herself. It is wisdom that is this woman. That's who he's about to describe. And as we begin to look at it, you'll say, yeah, I thought so. Because I've tried to be this and I'm not. I've tried to find this and I haven't. I haven't seen it anywhere. And so he begins now and he describes her beginning... Uh, in verse 10 by talking about her value and so he says who can find a virtuous woman for her price or her value what she's worth is far above rubies in other words there's no intrinsic physical monetary thing that you could have that would be worth what she's worth if you can find this woman and then he begins to describe her in verse 11. Uh, the very first thing that he says about her in these two verses is that she is dedicated. And if you want to take notes uh, on these attributes, I've simplified them into one word things for you so that you can take notes uh, and think about those things later. But it, first of all, is that she is dedicated. It says in verse 11, it says the heart of her husband does safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of his life. That is, that the one who possesses her, 
the one who has joined himself to this woman, and this could be a man or a woman because this, this woman is wisdom and she's, uh, uh, she's universally available to all. But the one that has her, he has a confidence that inspires a peace of mind. That's what he's saying here. That his heart safely trusts her. In other words, he knows that if he possesses this attribute, if she is in him, if she is in her, then there's a confidence that allows me to rest with a peace of mind that things are just going to be okay. I have that inside. It's deep inside. It's not a surface thing. I'm not worried. Just like you wouldn't, if you had a faithful spouse, that you were not worried at all that they were ever going to go out on you so that you never had to even think about it. It's the same idea, is that I'm going to be okay because this is in me. Though I lose all, I've lost nothing. Verse 13, not only is she dedicated, but she's also motivated. Watch verse 13. It says that she seeks wool and flax, and she works willingly with her hand. That is, that the person who possesses her will have a mind towards what is good and fine, and will be able to tell the difference and know what it takes to obtain what's worthy and then do what's necessary in order to get it. Notice that she works with her hands, that she goes after the thing that she needs. Remember that wisdom is action. Wisdom, knowledge is fact, but wisdom is action. Wisdom is knowing what to do. And so the person that possesses this woman, that possesses this quality, is going to know what's worthy in life and then is going to know how to go after it and then will have the unction to go and do it and go and take hold of it. And so she's motivated. It tells us in verse 14 that she's also calculated. It says that she is like the merchant's ships. She brings her food from afar. Now, the one who possesses her, essentially saying, is that they will know how to build systems for order and efficiency in their life. Now, the merchant ships, they were designed as an agent of transport between product and productivity. In other words, to transport things from where they are made, developed, or grown to the place where they will be used or employed for their purpose. And he's saying essentially is that if you possess wisdom, that you will know how to take what you have or what is available and you'll know how to bring it into its place of best use or proper use. And so you're going to be calculated in the system that you build in order to make your life efficient. Now, interesting, interesting thing is that most products or ideas, inventions that people have, most of those things never make it out of concept and into use. And the reason is just plain bad marketing. Because a lot of times people that have good ideas don't know the process of bringing that into fruition and then putting it into a place where it's available for people. And so many ideas go by the wayside or they just sit on a shelf until someone who knows how to do that thinks of it also and then they bring it to pass. And what he's essentially saying is that part of what wisdom provides in a life is that it gives us the ability to not just know what would be useful, but to know how it's useful and then give us the ability to do it. There's a system that we know how to put in place and so it's calculated. It says in verse 15 that she's automated. It says that she rises 
Moses also while it is yet night and gives meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. In other words, the idea behind this is that even while she's sleeping, even while everything else is dormant, there's still productivity happening. The maidens and the, those in her household are still being fed. She's still working. Wisdom is still working while the husband is sleeping. Even while you're asleep, your wisdom is still keeping your life going. Provision is happening even while there's sleep going on. Verse 16, not only is she automated, she's also educated. It says that she considers a field and she buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. And so the one who possesses her has the ability to expand in their borders or in their life. You guys know that section of scripture, the prayer of Jabez? It was, a, it was a book that was written probably 20 years ago. It was this little segment of scripture. This guy named Jabez prays this prayer. It's right in the Bible. It's First Chronicles chapter 4. And he prays this little prayer. And he just says, God, I pray that you bless me indeed. And then he says this, that you would expand my borders and that evil wouldn't grieve me. And it, and it just simply says that God heard his prayer and answered him and blessed him. And then it goes back into the genealogies. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. How did he get that direct line that he could just pray something like that? And God, but what did he pray? It's amazing. He said that you would expand my borders. And that's really the idea behind what he's saying here is that this woman, this wisdom, this person who's decorated with this wisdom, this person is already, already being faithful to her husband. She's running a business. She's maintaining a household. She's building systems. And she still has energy and resources left to say, you know what? There's a field for sale. I think I could do something with that. In other words, the, the horizons are expanding. And that's what wisdom does when it's in the life of a person is that they don't contract and say, I need to do less. Or I'm overwhelmed with what I already have. Wisdom gives us ways in which we can expand. We could take what we're already doing and God can give us the understanding and the ability to do even more. And so she considers a field. She understands how all that works. And then she buys it. And then it doesn't just sit there, but she has the ability to work things out in such a way that she then puts that field to use for her the vineyard is planted, and now she can benefit from that field. And so the person who possesses her is expanding because they understand what's going on. Not only that, but in verse 17, she's also stimulated. It says that she girds her loins with strength, and she strengthens her arms. She girds her loins. That, in the Bible, uh, is kind of a, a picture of, of being ready-minded, I'm ready to be active. In those days, they would wear robes. And so if you were going to move and move swiftly, then you would gird up the robe so that you'd be able to run without tripping over yourself. And the idea here is that she's got energy and she's ready for action. She doesn't retreat in the face of difficulty, but she arises in the face of it. And when something uh, threatens her well-being in her world, she goes for it. She's girded with strength. She strengthens her arms. In verse 18, we read that she's confidently opinionated. And I stress that uh, descriptive uh, word concerning her opinionated nature is that she's confidently opinionated. Notice it says in verse 18, it says that she perceives that her merchandise is good. Her candle goeth not out by night. 
Now, this one challenged me a little bit, okay, because there's a real fine line, okay, between confidence and pride. Okay, confidence is the understanding that there's something of value in my life and something of value that my life is producing. And I can be confident in that. Pride is when I cross the line from just knowing that it's valuable into thinking that I'm better than someone else or comparing myself with someone else and, and, and my value versus their value. And I struggle there because I've kind of been, I've always kind of had a low self-esteem and then I was kind of like weaned in the Christian life on this concept of super humility that nothing is ever anything. You know, that nothing is ever praiseworthy. You just take the lowest road and you're always dirt. And that's kind of just ingrained in me a little bit, you know. But, but wisdom knows what the value of, of the life is and is confident in that value, not for the sake of pride or self-esteem, but for the sake of making it available and having confidence that's going to be useful to people. Do you realize that God has put something in you that's valuable on a level that no one else can bring? And that God gave you that for the sake of making it for somebody else. And the person that possesses godly wisdom has the ability to be confident in themselves without being prideful or without crossing the line into uh, comparing themselves with someone else. And so she's opinionated in a good way. She knows what she has is good and she's going to bring it to its proper place. She's confidently opinionated. In verse 19, she's fixated. It says that she lays her hands to the spindle and her hands hold the distaff. In other words, she's a finisher. The person who possesses her, the person in whom she is, is a finisher. They set their hand on something and they don't take their hand off of it until it is completed. They don't start 50 projects and finish none. But what they start, they carry absolutely to completion. The word distaff is translated circle or circuit. And the idea is that she makes a goal, he makes a goal, and they finish the goal. They go the full circle. They carry it to completion. That's what wisdom enables us to do. In verse 20, she's activated. Notice, it says that she stretches out her hand to the poor, yea, she reaches forth her hands to the needy. She's activated. She has, on top of everything else that she's doing, she has room in her heart. Or the person, this gets confusing, right, with this whole allegory. You know, but the person that possesses her has room in their heart, on top of everything else, to be concerned about the needs of someone who's less fortunate. Uh, which is an important thing. Careful. God is careful to remember the poor. From Genesis to Revelation, God goes out of his way. In the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, God commanded his people carefully. He says, listen, when you reap over your fields, make sure that you leave a portion of your field for those that are poor to come and be able to collect something for themselves. You remember the poor. All the way throughout, God makes provision for the poor. Jesus made provision for the poor and spoke of the poor. Paul the Apostle in the book of Acts was pleased with the churches and the apostles, the other apostles that were concerned about the needs of the poor. And that's something that's important to the heart of God. And the person that possesses wisdom understands that we're to leave a segment of our heart, our field, for, the, for reaching out to the needs of others and not to be closed off to them. So she's activated. In verse 21, we read that she's also unintimidated. It says that she is not afraid of the snow 
for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. So the one who possesses her is not intimidated by a curveball or when something unplanned or unscheduled comes into the life. Uh, my wife is really good at, at this part of things. The other morning, um, my son showed up at our, our bedroom door right in the morning. It wasn't like the middle of the night, but it was right about rising time. And uh, he was at the door, and he said, my throat hurts, and I can't stop coughing. And I was like, go talk to her. <laughs> go talk to her. And, and, and she, she, the, she, okay, probably shouldn't say this. She doesn't do good with an alarm clock. But she, did re- she does real good with, with the needs of, of a child. And so she sprang right up, and she was right on it and the whole thing, and, and, and right there, and, and unintimidated. Just not, the interruption doesn't bother her. It's okay. Before I left tonight, she was cleaning throw up off the rug, unmoved by it. She's here. She made it. The kid's at home, you know, the whole thing. But, but that's the whole idea behind this is that she's not intimidated. She's not afraid of the snow. Oh, okay, so life isn't always going to go easy. It's not always going to be summertime. It's not always going to be pleasant, but I can handle that. I can manage that. And the person that possesses wisdom has that uh, unintimidated element to them. Uh, Verse 22, she's also decorated. It says that she makes herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. And so the person who possesses her is going to have a wisdom of presentation. Whenever you read about clothes in the Bible, it's always talking about what other people see when they look at your life. Even the clothes that God made for Adam and Eve, it was a covering to hide the ugliness that was underneath them. God's not so concerned with clothes in a fashion sense, but our presentation is something that's important in a fallen world. And the person who possesses wisdom is going to know how to present themselves in the proper way. They're going to be, in a sense, emotionally healthy or socially structured. And that's kind of the idea here, is that the person who possesses wisdom is decorated in this way. They're going to have a tapestry, it says. Uh, Do you see that word there in verse 22? It says a tapestry. And I love that word because what's a tapestry? A tapestry is almost like a quilt, right? It's like a bunch of little pieces that have been all been carefully arranged to make one garment. And that's just kind of the picture of a whole personality. The personality of the child of God is to be well-rounded. It's a tapestry of everything, and it's able to present itself. It also says that she'll be uh, clothed in silk and purple. Silk is like smooth. There's just a, a grace about the life of a person that possesses wisdom, and purple is the color of royalty. And so it speaks of the, the, the person that possesses wisdom just has a presentation that's proper and right. They're, they're well-rounded. They're whole. Uh, next it says in verse 23, not only decorated but she's also nominated watch this it says her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land in other words the one who possesses her is going to be held in high reputation and their counsel will be sought after by others because it's sound counsel The gate of the city was the place where government took place. It's where decisions were made. It's where politics and interaction happened. It was the marketplace oftentimes. And the idea here is just simply that the person that possesses wisdom is going to be held in high reputation in that uh, uh, person class of things. 
It also then says, in, uh, goes on in verse 24 and 25, it says that she makes fine linen and she sells it and she delivers girdles unto the merchant. Strength and honor are her clothing and she shall rejoice in time to come. Uh, the next thing, if you're taking notes, is that she's satiated or satisfied. The one who possesses her, their future will be full. That's what it's saying there. Just that... Uh, um, She'll rejoice in time to come and that strength and honor are, are in her future or the person's future that, that has them. Uh, verse 26 reveals that she's also elevated. It says that she opens her mouth with wisdom and in her tongue is the law of kindness. And so the person that possesses her is going to have an ornament of grace in their speech. The things that they say are going to be words of grace and words of kindness. What did Paul say in the New Testament? He said, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt or salted with grace. And so the person that possesses wisdom is going to know how to speak a word, a fit word at a right time. There's an elevated uh, nature to the things that come out of the mouth. It's so important that we set a guard. David prayed that. I think it's in Psalm 17. He said, Lord, set a watch Put a watchman in my mouth and be, let me be, take heed to the things that come out of it. And the things that come out of our mouth are so important. And the person that possesses wisdom is going to be able to control that. And there's going to be a law of kindness uh, in, in that. And then uh, finally, she's celebrated. Notice uh, verse 27 and onward. It says that she looks well to the ways of her household and she eats not the bread of idleness, but her children arise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, he praises her, that she will be celebrated. In other words, the person that possesses wisdom is going to be honored by the people that are closest to them. They're going to see the value of who they are and they're going to be esteemed very highly because of who they are. Um, and so uh, then many daughters, it says in verse 29, have done virtuously, but you excel them all. Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that fears the Lord, she shall be praised. And that really is the defining element of God's wisdom. This woman wisdom that we've seen throughout the book of Proverbs is that she isn't concerned with the outward things of beauty or vanity, but the inward thing of the Lord's place, his right place in the heart. And that brings forth true beauty in a life and the result will be verse 31 it says give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates now if this was the description all of these things and i moved through them quickly because really uh, each one could be a sermon uh, in and of themselves but if these things were actually the description of a godly woman or of a godly man then this is a very frustrating pursuit because what I found as I went through it, as I began to check off these things, like, nope, 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 nope. And I could spend a lifetime trying in my own effort to try to realize these ideals. And what we know is that anytime we try to realize an ideal that's contrary to our nature, it ends in frustration and failure and disillusionment. This isn't a real woman. If you ever find her, I mean, the closest I've ever found is Georgia, uh, you, you know, and, and I just know her very well, you know. But even, even she, no one can measure up to this. There's not a woman or a man. There's only one. There's only one living person 
that measures up to this ideal. And he just doesn't happen to be a physical person living on the earth today. He's living on the earth today, but not physically. And that is Jesus himself. Jesus himself is the only one that can measure up to this description. And so what that does for me as a believer in Christ is that it turns my frustration in my inadequacy into hope in his ability. And that's a very important thing. And I think it's the application that's the application of applications that we can take away, not only from this chapter, but from this whole book of Proverbs and this whole idea of possessing wisdom is that it's found in Jesus. He is wisdom. If you look at, at, at Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, and it's going to come up there on the screen, I want you to see that wisdom is not just something that Jesus possesses. It's a part of who he actually is. Notice what it says there. It says that there will come forth a rod or, or a, a stem, a branch, out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. That's speaking of Christ, that he would be a descendant and lineage of Je- Jesse and King David. And it says this of him. It says that the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. And then it describes what that is. It says the spirit of wisdom and understanding and counsel and might and knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And what those things are is a description of the personality that is the Holy Spirit. It's a part of the essence of the triune Godhead, the Father, Son, and the Spirit. And so Jesus doesn't possess wisdom. Jesus actually is wisdom. That's why it says in Colossians chapter 2, I think it's verse 3. It'll come up on the screen. It says that in him, not with him, but in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge because he is wisdom. Therefore, this description is not of any living human entity, but rather this is a description of who Jesus is in his person and in his personality. This cannot be obtained by imitation. You cannot look at Jesus, hear what he said and see what he did, and then seek to emulate what he did or who he was and hope that you're going to have the outcome of having wisdom because that's not how it works. It's something that is on the inside. It's a part of the personality. There's a a guitarist, a musician. His name is Andy McKee. And I don't know that he's a believer. Uh, I've never, you know, heard otherwise, but he just plays guitar and he's an amazing guitarist. And he does things with the guitar, whereas if you closed your eyes, you would think that he had a whole band supporting him because he's got rhythm going. He's got all kinds of different melodies going all at the same time. And you just listen, and it's so smooth. It's smooth like butter. It's perfection. It's amazing what this man can do with a guitar. And because of his ability and because of his uniqueness, there are many people that try to imitate him. And so you can listen to some of his songs played by him. And then if you put it in a simple YouTube search, you'll see thousands of people that have tried to learn his songs and imitate what he does and what he's able to produce. And it's funny to watch them because nobody can do it. They can come close. There's some people that have parts of it down, but inevitably they make a mistake. They slip. There's a part of it that's not smooth. They're trying to do something, but it's not from in them. It's an imitation. And anytime you try to imitate something that you are not internally, you are never going to measure up to it. And it's always going to end in frustration. 
But what if, what if Andy McKee, the great guitarist, what if he could get into the body of someone who is trying to play that music? If he could actually get inside of them and he could play the music using their hands, then it's possible. Because now it's not an imitation of something that they are not, but rather it's an impartation, something that they are not coming inside of them and now doing through them what they can never do in and of themselves. And that's why this description moves from frustration to hope when I realize that it's speaking of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus says that he stands at the door of every heart and that he knocks. And that if anyone will open, that he will come in. And the same spirit that rested upon Jesus Christ, that was the spirit of God, will come into that life and they will begin not by imitation, but by impartation to possess the qualities that are described in who he is. And so the way of obtaining wisdom is not by imitation, but rather it's inquisition asking and then his impartation. He gives us that which we ask for. If any man lack wisdom, James says, let him ask of God and that he asks believing and that it will be given to him. Jesus said, if you ask for the Holy Spirit, you will be given the Holy Spirit. He's a promised comforter that will abide in us forever. So as I read this description and I say, Lord, I want to be more like this descriptive person here. It isn't a matter of saying, Lord, help me to do this better. It's a matter of saying, Lord, would you possess more of my heart? I invite you, Lord, to be in me what I cannot be in and of myself. And I yield control of my life to you in such a way that you can make me to know this wisdom imparted in me. Father, we pray tonight, Lord, as we uh, look at you afresh and as we consider, Lord, this amazing gift and, and we consider this amazing person that you are, Jesus. And we realize, Lord, that it, it's something not that you just want to showcase and say, look what I can do. But in your death and resurrection and the release of your Holy Spirit over the church, Lord, you've made it in such a way wherein by the asking, we can invite you inside and that you can live through us in ways that we can never live our own life. And so, Lord, as a church body collectively, Lord, for myself and for any of my brothers and sisters that are here tonight that would desire, Lord, to be filled with your wisdom and to know the quality of that life. I pray in Jesus' name right now, Lord, that your spirit would fall upon us in a fresh, potent, powerful way. Lord, where maybe in areas of our life we've been trying to do it ourselves, or maybe we've given up, or maybe we've stopped short, or maybe we've just been derailed maybe in foreign pursuits or foreign pleasures. Right now, Lord, by the asking, by grace, by grace, we ask, Lord, that your spirit would come and live inside of our hearts afresh. And that, Jesus, you would be in us hope and light and life and joy and wisdom and diligence and vision and charity. God, that you would be everything that we're not. So help us tonight, Lord. May times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. May your living water fill us up completely. 
May the God of hope fill us with hope and peace. May we walk in the power of your Holy Spirit. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Let's all stand together and worship. Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback, so if you would, leave us a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.